0: From his father's usurpation of Richard II's throne in 1399, when Henry was but 12, he was active in the government of England. Henry V came to the throne extensively experienced in politics, administration, and warfare. Few kings have been so well trained for their job. Peter Saccio in Shakespeare's English Kings. Henry IV parts 1 and 2 are some of the least historically accurate of all of Shakespeare's history plays. And that's saying something. This is largely due to the fact that he focused so much of the play on Prince Hal, the future Henry V. Shakespeare was working with what the Tudor chroniclers had provided him, which was an inaccurate portrayal of the young prince. They painted Prince Hal as a lecherous youth that drank too much, was friends with the wrong sorts of people, and even committed a few crimes. This picture, according to contemporary records of the time, is almost certainly wrong. From a very young age, Hal was participating in battles and leading armies. For years before his father's death, he dominated the council and essentially ruled for a period of time. That is not to say that everything about Shakespeare's portrayal was wrong. There was a certain amount of tension between father and son over Henry IV's fear of being usurped by his own son. In the end, we have a complicated picture of a complicated prince. So what exactly is wrong and right about Shakespeare's portrayal? That is what Eli and I will be exploring today. So grab your sack and let's spend some time with Prince Hal. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Breaking Bard. I'm your host Sarah, also known as Ripe Good Scholar on a growing corner of the internet. I'm joined, as most times, by my husband Eli. Hi, that's me! Um, he is here today to learn about Henry V.
1: Now, I think I know a lot. For example, he came after Henry
0: IV? Good job, but before Henry VI. Oh, I, I,
1: I had that one wrong. <laughs>
0: um, but more specifically, we're not going to be talking so much about his actual reign as we are his years as prince. Prince of Wales. Ah, Um, because Shakespeare's portrayal of Prince Hal, how I'll be referring to him for the rest of the podcast, is wrong.
1: It's wrong?
0: Just, like, almost certainly wrong.
1: But it's so fun!
0: I know, but it's wrong. But, but Loki made me so sad! Tom Hiddleston is great.
1: Tom Hiddleston's pretty good as Prince Hal, yeah.
0: Shakespeare, when writing, um... Henry V's Prince Howell's history had an interesting challenge. Um, because Henry V was known as like a warrior hero king. But the Tudors had a very dubious claim to the throne.
1: You've mentioned this before.
0: Yes. And what I what I find interesting specifically about kind of this dichotomy between Henry V and the Tudors is that Henry IV really kind of started the Wars of the Roses because he usurped the throne. Mm. He cut in line.
1: So if he hadn't done cutsies, then the whole thing wouldn't have happened.
0: Well, well I mean, I can't say that for sure because... If Richard II had died childless, it might have all started anyway. But Henry IV certainly kick-started it by cutting in line. And cutting in line enough that it was questionable whether, even with a usurped king, he should have been king. Like, it's not like if Richard II had abdicated, Henry IV would have taken over. Basically, the War of the Roses was started because Edward III had a bunch of sons. So you had Edward the Black Prince, who died before becoming king. Richard was his son. Right. So by going straight from Edward III to Richard, you essentially skipped a whole generation of the family, which never goes particularly well. You know, there were some, yeah. some salty feelings about that one. Then what happened is the Tudors, their dynasty, ended the Wars of the Roses. Henry Tudor defeated Richard III, thus ending the dispute. The Tudors essentially had a dubious claim to a dubious claim. So, everybody Mm. here is on shaky ground.
1: Oh, I see. So, like, the Yorks had the stronger genealogical claim compared to the Lancasters, and the Tudors had an even shakier claim to being Lancaster than the Lancasters did.
0: Yes. I mean, the Tudors were essentially born of Henry V's wife's second marriage. Regardless of the complexity of the family tree of the Wars of the Roses, maybe we'll do a whole episode on just figuring out that family tree, because it's really complicated. Bottom line, there were a lot of dubious claims to the throne happening. Henry IV secured his reign by squashing rebellions. The Tudors shored up their claim by basically making a lot of the previous, the monarchs of the previous decades look pretty bad. To kind of be like, hey, aren't you glad these people aren't fighting over the throne anymore. Oh,
1: so like, Richard was evil, Edward was a drunk, uh... Henry VI was just... Henry was crazy. Yeah, everyone (laughs) is agreed that Henry was bad at things.
0: So, but Henry V was chivalrous, he went and fought wars in France, he won a battle against all odds, you know, God was on his side, and then died young before he t- had time to really do anything stupid. So in the English national identity, Henry V was a hero king.
1: That that's fair. I mean he he stuck it to the French and then died of a poop disease.
0: So what you started seeing happening was Tudor Chroniclers jumped on to some rumors that started after Henry V's death that he was a rapscallion in his youth. And if the Tudor chroniclers said it, then Shakespeare copied it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have the Prince Hal seen in Henry IV, Part 1 and 2.
1: Okay, that's why he's carousing with drunks and robbing people.
0: Yes. But in reality, Prince Hal was one of the most prepared kings to ever take the throne. Really? Yes. So he pretty much started making a name for himself on the battlefield from the age of maybe as young as 12, but certainly certainly by around 15. What?
1: (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Well, when did he have time to be a rapscallion?
0: That's kind of the point. <laughs> What's kind of funny is we have kind of a classic, especially in Henry the Fourth, Part One, a classic. Let's mess with ages of people and timelines that Shakespeare pulls. Hotspur functions as the foil to Prince Hal in Henry the Fourth, Part One, but he was really closer in age to Henry the mm-hmm. Fourth. And Prince Hal actually learned under Hotspur. Interesting. Like, you know, they didn't have just, like, a 12-year-old running around on his own on the battlefield, or even a 15-year-old. He would have been training under someone, and that someone was Hotspur.
1: Oh, interesting. So, Hotspur was not even close to Henry's age.
0: No, he was closer to Henry IV's. Wow. Yeah. Uh
1: But... I, I'm just shocked that the play's that far off.
0: Henry IV, part one and two, are hands down the least historically accurate plays of all the Shakespeare history plays, which is saying a lot. Yeah. At least when you look at it, even from the point of view of Hollandshed's Chronicles, it's pretty wrong. Um, I think Hotspur was a, li- like a little younger than Henry IV, but he, he was an adult. When
1: howl was a teen. Okay, I'm gonna shift real quick. It was 14 years, by the way. What? Henry the Fourth's reign. Okay. Almost exactly. I was gonna say
0: 17. That was close.
1: You're off by almost 25. percent
0: Excuse me, sir. This is a Shakespeare slash history podcast. Get your math out of here. <laughs> And part of the reason he quickly gained battle prowess is because Henry IV repeatedly, particularly early in his reign, had to squatch rebellion after rebellion after rebellion.
1: Do you think it could have been because he usurped the king?
0: Yeah, that's probably it.
1: No one respects a usurpation anymore. Right. He probably said 600 years ago.
0: Yeah, he was probably aware of that <laughs> this was, like, new territory. yeah. Because like I said, it wasn't even like a son usurping his father or the next in line usurping the king. It was like...
1: Some other guy usurping the king. It was like the
0: the third to fourth in line usurped the king.
1: Oh. What? I just realized that Henry V didn't have a very long reign either, right? No. So by the time uh, the War of the Roses started and the Yorks were like, actually, we have the better claim, It had only been, like, 40 years.
0: I don't know. I I haven't made a Wars of the Roses timeline. This will have to be another podcast. Can we stop getting into the genealogy and timeline of the Wars of the Roses? Because it's irrelevant (coughs) to what we're talking about right now.
1: Okay. We we will stop.
0: So, he had to gain this battle prowess because he helped his father squash rebellion after rebellion. So, he was a young teen during the... um, Battle of Shrewsbury that we see in Henry IV.
1: English Parlin. battle names are just adorable. I'm pretty
0: sure it's, it's the wish. Battle of Shrewsbury! <laughs> After they kind of squashed that rebellion, we still had the issue of the Welsh.
1: Ah, oh, the Welsh.
0: Well, because the Welsh, you had the Glendowers and the Mortimers involved in those rebellions, and the Mortimers had married Lionels daughter. So, Edward III's second son had a daughter. The Mortimers married her. Oh, okay. They weren't interested in the Mortimers ruling England and Wales. There were three people rebelling against the king and they were going to divide the kingdom equally. Oh. Fun. So, you had them kind of coming over from Wales. And as Prince of Wales, Henry, in his later teens... Was like overseeing that. So late so, teens, early twenties. He's wow. He's defending Wales.
1: Okay, so like he got used to battle in his early teens, and then in his later teens, led armies against rebels in Wales.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: That's impressive.
0: Yeah, these rebellions happened very early in Henry the Fourth's reign. So Glendower and Mortimer get. Squash that rebellion's done. At that point, Henry, or Prince Hal, returns to England, to London to the palace with his father, where he serves on the King's Council. Because basically for the last seven years of Henry IV's reign, nothing happened. Nice! That's why Shakespeare makes it seem like Henry IV's reign was about a minute long, when really it was 14 years.
1: Oh, because the last half of it was super boring.
0: Yeah. I want to say maybe even seven to ten years where, like, nothing happened.
1: So he went from uh, being a warrior in the trenches at the age of maybe 12 to leading armies in his late teens to then being on the King's Council in his teens and 20s.
0: I think by the time he was on the King's Council, he was... 20 plus. Okay. So um that's maybe 19.
1: I mean, I know like his dad owned the company, but that's still impressive.
0: He very quickly becomes a dominant force on the council.
1: Well, yeah, he probably robbed some of those guys when he was 8.
0: It wasn't it didn't take him long to start filling the council with younger nobles who had a thinking more like his and this created some tension
1: was he was he just saying okay boomer <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean pretty much the older generation wasn't like super interested in like intensely going after france whereas the younger generation was so they had different perspectives on how to deal with france okay um which if i'm henry the 4th I don't have a ton of money to be, like, fueling wars all over the place. Fair. You know, he's cutting his teeth at the King's Council. Like, he's, he's learning. He, he has the battle prowess. Now he's learning.
1: Governing. Governing.
0: Exactly. He knows what it takes to run the kingdom. And in fact, during Henry IV's reign, Prince Hal essentially ruled on and off. Because Henry IV was frequently ill during the final years of his life. Wow. So he would become incapacitated, and essentially Henry V was ruling. Okay.
1: Honestly, that's just really uh, impressive. Like I tried to make jokes, but no, he's just apparently good at ruling.
0: Yeah. So it reaches a point with Henry IV's illnesses that either Hal or a bishop in two different books I read, they each said something different. But either Hal or a bishop approached Henry the proposing that he abdicate in favor of Hal. That's
1: that's a that's a power move.
0: Yes. And apparently it went so far as putting a motion before Parliament, which failed. Ooh. Now we have a father-son dispute. Lots of tension in that relationship.
1: I would imagine so.
0: Notable tension that I think we do see then reflected in Shakespeare. It's not like Henry IV and Hal got along in the plays. That motion fails. Henry IV removes Prince Hal from the council and replaces him with his younger brother, Thomas. Which we do see referred to in Shakespeare's play. That Thomas sat on the council instead of Hal. Now, in the play, it's because he's always down at the pub getting drunk and committing highway robberies, but in reality, it was yeah. because Henry IV, who, again, you have to keep in mind, his entire reign was...
1: Illegitimate.
0: Well, and also dealing with the fear of usurpation. I mean, he had done it... He had set that precedent. Yeah. He had already. That you could do that.
1: Yeah, he, he had established that it's cool to usurp the king and was a bit worried that someone would usurp the king.
0: Yeah, and so when Hal started overshadowing him, he didn't deal with that particularly well. <laughs> so he removes Hal from the council, he removes all of Hal's friends from the council, and replaces them with his own people. And so, like, quickly, things just go back to how Henry IV wanted them in regards to France and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't go without notice in particularly London and court that Hal has been removed. And he spends about a year kicked off the council. And, and this is shortly before he takes over. Like, in earnest because Henry Horth dies. So he gets kicked off the, the council. And so rumors start flying around that, like, ooh, the Prince and King aren't on good terms. You know, and it's just start- the rumor mills starting to churn, and Hal is not a fan of it. So he decides to return to London and ask for his father's forgiveness. And he does it in a very gutsy way.
1: Yes?
0: He apparently gets a private audience with the King, talks to him, and at some point, hands him a dagger and says use it and kill me because i would rather be dead than in your ill favor
1: <laughs> that that's that's a ballsy move although on the one hand i would i would personally expect my dad not to kill me on the other hand it was the middle ages lots of people killed people for no reason
0: yeah i mean he was taking a bit of a gamble but it worked out and they made up and
1: you know it kind of makes sense because, you know, if your brother's got your place on the council and you want to be king next, you've got to nip that in the bud. And you've got to establish, no, nobles, my dad totally supports me and you shouldn't be giving support to anyone when he dies because that would be wrong and I would
0: have to kill you. Well, yeah, I was definitely... It behooved him to make up with his father for a variety of reasons. So he did. So they did make up and where this can shed an interesting light in terms of Shakespeare is the whole crown wearing scene where Henry IV is always been and Henry V thinking his father has died or at least is not going to wake back up puts the crowd on after doing a whole soliloquy about how difficult it is Wear the crown. To be the one wearing the crown. And he walks off with the crown, and at that point, Henry IV wakes up, sees that the crown is missing, assumes that, like, man, Hal couldn't even wait till I actually died to take the throne. And gets huffy with him. At which point Hal comes back in and is like, I thought you were I thought you were gone. I was really upset. I'm sorry,
1: yeah, I remember that he he got he engaged in psychic battle with the crown.
0: In that facet of the relationship painted by Shakespeare, there is some truth in it. Hmm. that Henry the Fourth was a certain extent fearful of his son taking the throne before it was due to him. Which is kind of funny when you think about... Yeah, back
1: yeah. And forth. Yeah, but real, uh, do as I say and not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that is interesting, because in the play, well, it's weird because he starts out saying, I'm just pretending to be a lecturer so I can uh, shock everyone when I'm not. And then uh, goes about being lecherous, which is weird? Uh,
0: yes and no, um... So, in the play, in Henry Fourth, part one and two, yes, Hal absolutely participates in some bad behavior, but he always keeps some sort of, like, noble sense about him. That's fair. Um, for example, the highway robbery. Falstaff and crew robbed someone on the road, and then Hal and his buddy rob Falstaff as a joke. You actually have then, when the constable comes to arrest Falstaff, Hal assures him that he paid back the people that were robbed plus interest. So yes, he definitely participated in some less than honorable shenaniganery. But he still maintained a certain sense of honor about it.
1: I, I like that image of nobility because it's basically... You, you, you can have your go at violently terrorizing people as long as you pay them enough. Which fits.
0: I mean, yes, but he could have just not... He didn't rob them.
1: <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? Like, That's true. And, and there are other instances similar to that um, where he...
1: Makes amends.
0: Yeah, and where he shows that he will take ruling seriously. And I, I have always found it interesting that the Prince Hal that Shakespeare paints is like, I'm gonna lower the bar so I can surprise everybody. When, like, real Prince Hal was, like, uh, becoming a boss on the battlefield and in the political system and
1: then hitting puberty.
0: And and really still surprising people, which is kind of funny to me. So after his father did die, and we aren't going to get too much into Henry V's actual reign, um, I wanted to focus on this part because this is like the most wrong in terms of Shakespeare's adaptation of history. But it is true, um, as um, Peter Sacchio put it in Shakespeare's English Kings, his contemporaries were struck with the energy and devotion with which he tackled his new responsibilities, since, after his dismissal from the council over a year before, he had been in effect a prince without a job. His vigorous seizure of the reins of power could be seen, with the use of some imagination, as a sudden access of sobriety and dedication. People were taken aback at how just he just took over. And when we look back on it in hindsight, it's like, well, yeah, of course he did. He had been essentially ruling on and off for years, but he hadn't been on the council in a year. Yeah. Another example of Shakespeare hinting at his future acceptance of responsibility is that famous scene where him and Falstaff play act.
1: Oh, his crowning?
0: Well, his his exchange with his father. Ah, yeah. So, at, at one point, um, Prince Hal is playing his father. Mm-hmm. And Falstaff is playing Prince Hal. Mm-hmm. And Hal, as Henry IV says, you know, we'll have to, you'll have to banish your friends. Mm-hmm. And Falstaff goes on a big, long speech, culminating in banish John Falstaff and banish the world. And Hal responds with, I do. I will. And it's this foreshadowing of him going, I know thee not, old man.
1: Yeah. What I like about the way you described uh, him launching into rulership with all this energy and vivaciousness it just sounds like he really Leslie noped it. And no one expects a Leslie nope.
0: Yeah, exactly. It wasn't until after his death, and, at, and I think he was like 35 when he died. It wasn't until after that, and like a long time after that, like a, maybe even a century after he died, that the rumors started cropping up that he was a rambunctious young okay. man and got into some less than princely activities
1: so long enough for say a tutor to get on the throne
0: yes now and the tutor chroniclers because i want to say hollandshed wrote during henry the eighth's reign really latched onto those to be like oh yeah he was a he was a good king but we were all real worried there for a while yeah um and and two of the big rumors um, that we're aware of do make an appearance in Shakespeare. One is the highway robbery. There were rumors that not only would he go out drinking with all his, you know, friends he shouldn't be friends with, he would rob people. Most historians discount that as that that has to be just rumor.
1: Because, you know, he was away in battle.
0: Well, yeah. There's really no evidence either way, but there probably would be more evidence if he actually was, like, robbing people. Also, when did he have the time?
1: (laughs) You know, I would have robbed people, but I just didn't have the time.
0: (laughs) I mean, who has the time to rob people anymore?
1: I don't. I'm in quarantine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the other kind of rumored story that is almost certainly not true for different reasons this doesn't this doesn't directly happen in the play but it's referred to um there was a story that the chief justice was going to imprison or at least punish one of Hal's friends and Hal told him to drop it and he wouldn't so Hal hit him the chief justice was like as a man I just have to take you hitting me because you're the prince. However, as the Chief Justice, I am an extension of the king, and to hit the king is treason. Mm. (laughs) Ooh. And locks Hal up. That would be pretty bomb. (laughs)
1: Like, that would be so bomb.
0: Again, historians believe this has to be nonsense because if the Crown Prince of England was imprisoned, there would surely be a record of it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, a contemporary would have wrote about it. Yeah. At the very least. And that's really the the kind of biggest piece of evidence you have is that the contem- his contemporaries didn't write anything about it. Nothing was said about it until, like, decades or more, and like, maybe even a century after he died. Now, what I love is in the play... It's brought up by this Chief Justice after right after Henry the dies, kind of in a because he's all worried about like I'm the dude now who imprisoned the king. <laughs> oh no. And
1: I've I've made a terrible mistake.
0: And so Henry V comes in and he's talking to his brothers and uh, then the you know the Chief Justice is pretty much like, Please don't jump off my head. And Hal's like it's okay. You did what was necessary. And then, like, invites him to be one of his advisors, one of Henry V's advisors. Now, that didn't happen because we know who was Henry IV's advisors and who were Henry V's, and no Chief Justice carried over. Nah, that but that's also,
1: such a good moment.
0: I know, but it didn't happen. Although I do have to say, <laughs> in the play that, you know, Henry V kind of... Kind of pokes fun a little bit and being like, mmm, Chief Justice, my old nemesis. <laughs> you know, and the Chief Justice is like, hey, so uh, before you decide how, how you're gonna punish me, I just, I just want you to think of what if one day your son is acting like you were acting, wouldn't you want someone to do something about it?
1: If only Henry VI acted like Henry V acted.
0: Setting aside that Shakespeare definitely was just copying what Holland wrote down, Shakespeare had that interesting kind of line to tread of making Henry rebellious but not unforgivable.
1: Oh, because the English loved him so you can't make him too bad.
0: Yeah. It's just it's an interesting tension and I, and I feel he did it well. The more times I've read Henry the Fourth and read about the plays Henry the Fourth, the more nuance I see in the character.
1: So like the Henry VI plays are boring and terrible. The Henry the Richard III is not terribly nuanced, but great. But Henry the Fourth is a really er sorry, Henry V in the uh Henry the Fourth plays. He's a really interesting character. He's rebellious but cherishes his father. He's given to uh, rebellious, lecherous acts, but at the same time, the moment he has any power, acts with nobility and chivalry. So he, he's he's complicated in a way that. Not a lot of English kings are portrayed.
0: Yeah, and he also continues the long tradition of Henrys not being the stars of their own plays. Fair. <laughs> I mean, Henry the Fourth definitely has a larger role than Henry the Sixth did in any of his plays. But uh, <laughs> Hal kind of steals the show. Yeah. Really, the Henriette is about Hal, 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 and V's Henry. Growing yeah. Growing up, you know. Yeah. One of my favorite, when I was reading up on Henry it was Asimov said it. I couldn't find the exact quote to just read it this time around, but I remember the first time, this is when I fell in love with Asimov. I was reading about and he's like, he likely didn't have the time to do this as seeing as he was running whales. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. Henry the V, good prince, good king. Given a bad rap later because of the tutors,
1: But even the bad rap is like, yeah, he was a good king, but he was also cool.
0: <laughs> you would think that.
1: What? H- Hal is super cool. He hangs out with a rough crowd, does crimes, gets away with it, and looks charming as he does. That is cool.
0: You're Prince Hal, aren't you? Hey, baby. When no. are you going to become Henry V, goddammit? it. <laughs>
1: Well, you want me to die when you have a baby? Because <laughs> I can die right now.
0: <laughs> you haven't even invaded France yet.
1: Okay, fine. I'll go invade France, then die. All right, have fun. Good luck. All right. I'll see you, I guess, never again. <laughs> You're going to need another podcast host. Dang it.
0: Thus ends another episode of Breaking Bard. Please join us next time when we discuss how plague shutdowns affected Shakespeare and his troupe. If you want to make sure you don't miss that or any future episodes, make sure to hit subscribe. If you like the podcast, please consider giving it a five-star review and sharing with your friends. For more Shakespeare fun in the meantime, check out my blog at ripegoodscholar.com or look me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at ripegoodscholar. You should also check out my new YouTube channel, where I just launched my first series on A Midsummer Night's Dream. Just search Ripe Good Scholar on YouTube. See you next time, and remember, our court shall be a little academ, still and contemplative in living art.